Welcome to Chinuch Today. I am your host, Rabbi Yerachmiel Garfield. Please join me as we highlight innovative ideas and inspiring people from the world of Chinuch. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today. Once again, we're going to be doing something for the very first time. I am going to be sharing with you a recording of a podcast that I recorded for Torah Masora's new podcast called Chinuch Bites. And in this recording, I had an opportunity to interview three amazing principals. And we talk about some of the challenges and some of the issues they face. And it's going to be wonderful for my listeners to hear these great mechanchim. Each of them is extremely talented and have great insights. And I hope you enjoy how we are sharing this podcast cross-platform. So you can learn about this amazing other podcast called Chinuch Bites through Torah Umasora. So I hope you enjoy this special episode of Chinuch Today. You're listening to Chinuch Bites, a podcast series. Interviews with real people in Chinuch. They breathe it, you live it. Get on-the-ground advice and tips that you'll really use this year. Brought to you by Torah Umasora. Leading a Chinuch institution as a Manal or a Minahalas is a demanding role. Balancing the interests of students, parents, and staff requires nerves of steel and a heart of gold. Today, we are joined by four esteemed leaders from different schools across the United States. They will share their insights into the challenges and rewards of their role as principals. Get ready to learn from their experiences and hear what drives their passion to carry out their Avedas HaKadosh. Hello and welcome to Torah Umasoro's Chinuch Bites, the premier Chinuch podcast where Torah brings us the great ideas and the great people involved in Chinuch. Today we have three very special Mechanchim and Naalim experienced educators who are going to share with us great pearls and insights into the role of a Manal, the life of a Manal, and what we could all learn from that. Welcome to our three guests. We have Rabbi Sadi, we have Rabbi Deitch, and we have Rabbi Steinarder. As we're going to get started, I'm going to ask you each to introduce yourself. I'll just tell you briefly, my name is Yerachmiel Garfield. I'm blessed to be the Manal of Yeshiva Taradamet in Houston, Texas, which is a growing day school in Houston, uh, preschool through eighth grade. We have Kenai 500 kids. And Baruch Hashem, in addition to the hot weather, the community is heating up with kail and learning and all the exciting things going on here. So I encourage you all to check us out. So let's, we'll go in alphabetical order. Rabbi Deitch, could you tell us about yourself? Maybe a little background in terms of how you got to Chinuch briefly and what you do currently. Good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this incredible forum. My name is Yehuda Deitch. I currently am the Assistant Dean in Torah Academy for Girls in Farakaway, New York a Beis Yaakov that hosts 1,900 approximately girls wow. from Farakwa and the greater five towns. Uh, prior to this, I was a third grade Rebbe Yeshiva Darche Torah for close to 20 years. Uh, concurrently, I was a, a general studies principal in various schools in Brooklyn, most recently in Yeshiva Torah Wonderful. Um, yeah. You got it. You got all the da- all the facts and figures. That's amazing. 1,900 kids. That's quite a large school. Okay. And Rabbi Sadi, if you could go next. Sure. I'm Yaakov Sadiq. Thank you so much for having me on this special podcast. I am the proud head of school at Katzel Day School here in South Florida, Boca Raton. Uh, we currently have 700 students, and everyone has heard about the, the migration down here to Florida. So we're trying to keep up with uh, everyone who is moving here and trying to accommodate everyone. I got a late start in Jewish education. I was born in Iran, and Baruch Hashem, I... I had a chance to end up in yeshiva. I began as a rebbe at Ezra Academy. Um, they called me in for subbing one day, and the rest is history. Mm. Um, before Katz and Hill Day School, I was at Hank, Hebrew Academy, Nassau County, for nine mm. years, and now here in South Florida, and um, a pleasure to be on with you guys. Wonderful. Welcome. Welcome. And finally, Rabbi Steinhardt. Hi, Rabbi Garfield. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a close to be on with such a special group of machanchem. I got my start in Chinuch a little over 20 years ago. I was, for 15 years, a Rebbe in Staten Island in RJJ. Wonderful years. I taught third grade for 10 years, fourth grade for five years. During concurrently, I was a English principal in Lakewood for 13 years. And 
Baruch Hashem, I had this chus seven years ago now to start a new cheder in Lakewood, cheder to Ferris Yisrael, which currently has almost 200 Talmudim and going strong. Hey, Nirbu, wonderful. Well, as I'm sure our listeners are adding up the math, as I did, we have nearly 2,500 children under our care here on this podcast. So certainly there's a certain amount of experience to be shared. I'm looking forward to uh, exploring. Let's start talking about leadership. You know, we all are running schools and involved with, with many adults and children. And I'd like you to reflect on either a mantra or a ideology that you use to deal with some of the more difficult cases. Maybe you learned it from someone or something you've developed through experience. And if you have an anecdote of where you actually employed that mantra or that approach, that would be wonderful. Rabbi Sadiq. Okay. You know, here at Katzel Day School, we have the luxury of being on a 15-acre uh, campus, on the Federation campus, and baseball fields and soccer fields. So when we give a tour, I see the mouths of these parents dropping and the t- tongues hanging out. So I, I, I let them get it out of their system, and then I redirect them. And I say, now that when we go into the buildings, I, I want you to please pay attention to our staff because it's not about this amazing campus. It's all about teachers. So there's a plaque to my left over here hanging on the wall, and I look at it when I sit down every day, and I'm going to read it to you. Everyone who remembers his own education remembers teachers, not methods, not techniques. The teacher is the heart of the educational system. So studies upon studies upon studies have proven that it takes one teacher, just one teacher, to change a child's life, let alone when you train and mentor uh, multiple teachers. So our mantra here is to exert every ounce of energy we have into our staff. And everyone has to offer a great education. Otherwise, you need to close your schools down. I always say nobody comes to an open house and says, I just want to be transparent with you. We're mediocre at best. If you could just bear with us, you know, we're trying our best. So just please come and help us out. Um, everyone says that they offer a great education, and you have to. I think where we separate ourselves is that relationship that's built with that teacher um, to teach the whole child. So that's our mantra. What are some of the things that you do to invest in your staff that you think are, you know, unique or really set you apart in this regard? So, you know, we do a lot of things for the staff to make sure that their um, mental health is taken care of. We bring a food truck uh, where they can go up and order whatever they like, you know, wow. and, and sit on the lawn and have lunch with the staff. You know, this is stuff that all, all Is there a massage chair involved? Yeah, no massage chairs, but okay. there's, there's... That's next level. That's in, next level. In, you know, in, in the teacher's room, we put endless amount of coffees and, and snacks and food. And we, we we cover for them, of course, when, when they have to run out. And, and when we, we find when they're in a good place, then they're able to be able to give everything they have to the students. And once they understand that this is our mission and this is our mantra... They take that time to go and have lunch with a child that maybe didn't understand something in class or uh, take him for a walk or meet, meet him earlier before class or after class. So, um, Wonderful. you know, all those little things add up. It's about the little things, right? It's about yeah, the small Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'm sure your faculty feels the love and reciprocates around. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, Rabbi Deitra, is that either of you want to weigh in on this? Yes, Rabbi Steinhardt. Okay, so I want to start from a little bit of a more personal experience. I remember leaving elementary school, and I remember the thrill and the relief of leaving elementary school. Mm. It didn't—it didn't really work for me. I went back into the classroom because I was very, very passionate, and I felt that there was a way to connect the Talmudim. And they should love being in yeshiva. They should love the experience. Um, Baruch Hashem, in the classroom, I was able to create that environment where every single boy was matzliach and felt really connected, felt a love for his learning. Now, not just learning, but inspired learning. I always felt that if a boy is inspired and a boy has the cheshek and a boy has the desire, he's going to shine. My dream was always to take it to a bigger level and to create a school where you have that environment of inspired learning, passionate learning. And I think that that's a thread that runs through every single Rebbe and every single staff member. It runs through from the bus driver to the person that cleans it, that cleans the building. Every Talmud feels it. And I think when we inspire our Talmudim, 
when they feel connected and they love and they feel, feel that it's their yeshiva and their cheder, um, I think the results are just amazing. And Baruch Hashem, we was able to be able to create that environment by having every single staff member, every rabbi, every teacher sharing our vision and understanding what our drive is and being a really, really being a part of it. Wonderful. And do you see that there's a difference in terms of your brand and, and, you know, how people know you in the community? I think, you know, just based on Baruch Hashem, our growth, I think it's resonating. The feedback that I get from parents, the feedback that I get from Talmudim themselves. Mm. You know, I, we have a little a little bit of a mantra, to really embrace learning, to really love it, and to want to be a part of it. And I think that's definitely resonated. You know, it's interesting to me. Sometimes you have uh, a parent called me at the end of the summer, and he told me his son had a countdown for school. And right away my mind thinks that, you know, his countdown is the last day of school. A boy had up <laughs> near his bed a countdown to the first day of school because school's not a scary place. It's a place where he feels wow. loved and he feels, you know, there's a gishmaka feeling. So I think, you know, having everyone on board and having, uh, having everyone share that vision had had, you know, has had a tremendous impact. Rabbi Deitch, before you tell us your mantra and your approach, you have a more important role. We have two major manalim on the line. One's focused on teachers, one focused on Talmidim. And I'm, I'm torn because how could you not focus on teachers? How could you not invest in faculty as your primary focus? How could you not focus on students and make primarily this Talmidim the focus? So Rabbi Deitch, lead us here. I'm going to say focus on self-care. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, <laughs> not. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Before so, you get to your mantra, what do you think about this this conversation? I think there's a tremendous element of truth that both Rabbi Steinhardt and Rabbi Sadiq are saying. And, and they're not, I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. I think that successful schools are able to incorporate uh, a sense of caring that that is the Chot HaMashulosh that runs through the entire core fabric of what a school is embodied by. We, mm. we, we care about the teachers and if a teacher is going through a hard time, we do what we can to alleviate that crunch. And if it means in a financial way, if it means in a, a way of sending over an extra pair of hands or two or three, and if it means taking their kids out, whatever, whatever it's going to do to give the teacher the, uh, the respite that she needs at that time, we'll do the same thing for a kid. If there's a, a girl has a situation where her parents are not able to take her shopping for preemptive, so teachers step up and take her shopping after hours on, on Central Avenue and get the stores open. So it's really, it's, it's the, I, I think it, they're not, uh, they work in tandem and it's more of an overall uh, perspective on focusing on the needs of every individual so that uh, they feel valued. That's a beautiful perspective and I want to get back to you in a minute with your mantra or your leadership approach. So keep thinking about that. And I just want to mention that our school in, in Houston, this year, I unveiled sort of a uh, three-part statement that I really talked about a lot with our faculty and even our parents, which is the following. Children are good. They want to do good. If they're not doing good, there's a reason. The job of the adults to identify and address the reason, put it simply. And I did a chorus with, the te- with all the teachers and all the parents that are in service and our Meet the Teacher Night. I'm like, I want everyone on board with that. And then what I did, and this really speaks to what you just said, or I just said now, we believe this is true about adults. Parents are good and they want to do good. And if they're not perceived as good, there's a reason and we need to figure it out and work together. And teachers want to do good, are good and want to do good. And if they're not doing good, there's a reason and we need to work together. And then I went for the kill. Even Manalim are good and they want to do good. That almost blew the roof off the room. But because we talk about it exactly like you're saying, Rabbi Deutsch, like we're all we're as human beings involved in Chinuch and we all care. We're all trying, you know, and when you change that, that perspective, it opens up the gates for collaboration and positivity and it's beautiful. So that would be my two cents on this. Uh, but it's, I know you all agree and not to say that Rabbi Sagi and Rabbi Steiner really disagree fundamentally. Right. It's just a matter of nuance. So Rabbi Deitch, is there something you would like to share about a mantra or an approach that you found to underscore your leadership style? Sure. Um, when I was going for my master's in education at Israeli Graduate School, I was privileged to uh, 
to study under the tutelage of Rabbi Dr. Chaim Feuerman. Zeich Tzavik Lebrach, who had a profound impact on me personally, and certainly uh, my uh, professional career. Uh, one of the things, was, I was, uh, as I was going for an administrative internship um, under his guidance, one of the things that we were focusing on was how to give effective feedback to, uh, to teachers, etc., and he said something, almost, that didn't, I don't think he anticipated on it being, uh, words that I, I live by. Um, but as was often the case with, uh, Rabbi Feuerman, sometimes a small little zug or a vitz or something that he just said, and ended up becoming like, a, a real, uh, meaningful moment for those who are privileged and fortunate to hear it. And his line to me was at that time, it doesn't have to be your way, it has to be effective. Hmm. And as a school leader, that has shaped a tremendous amount of my um, interactions with students, with teachers, and certainly with parents. We're ultimately, we're looking for the end game. Uh, the, the goal that we're all looking for is for this situation to get abated and rectified and whatever it is that we're looking for. And if the parents have a perspective that they'd like to try first, it doesn't have to be my way. We, we're more than happy to consider alternative routes to get to the same end goal, it has to be effective. So having the hachna to be able to say, you know what, you know your child infinitely better than I ever will, let's give, let's give it your way a shot first. Tell the teacher, you know something, well, here's my recommendation, but you, the child spends a lot of time in your class, you certainly have a, you're able to be a, a man amar, let's try it your way. And that hachna goes a long way in the relationship, and ultimately, at the end of the day, if it gets the job done, who's, who's losing because of it? Beautiful. Yeah, that's where we we keep the ego out. Right? Foreman certainly personified that. There was very little ego. Um, I knew him. I was blessed to know him towards the end that he was just like, you know, it was hard to get him uh, riled up about such matters. He was very calm and very like, all right, you know, we'll just sure. work it through. I had a manal that called me up from a different school. Um, and said to me, I'm not sure what to do. I have a, a Rebbe I just observed, and he's he's teaching something in a very, very backwards kind of way. I have a much simpler, more direct route of how to teach it, having taught this myself for many years, and, and the guy's just not being macabre. And I said, is it coming at the expense of the children? He said, no. I said, is it coming at the expense of the Rebbe, that it's going to maybe burn him out, or he's uh, not going to be perceived as effective, or something like that? He says, no, it's just it's it's a more complex thing. The Rebbe's, you know, overextending himself, and I, I could simplify. I said, why bother? If ultimately at the end of the day, kids aren't losing out, parents aren't losing out, and the Rebbe's not losing out, let the Rebbe do it his way. And he he reported back afterwards and said, you know, I thought about it, and it certainly seems to be uh, getting the job done. So we'll just lie low. So I've been living by that uh, mantra for quite some since I was there to hear it from a Vic Wehrman. Wonderful. Let's talk about some of the shifting needs of Chinuch. I think uh, collectively we've all been in this uh, wonderful field for some time and got to experience it both as children and new teachers and then assistant administrators, and now here we are as the Manalama heads of school. Would Are there any shifts, major shifts that you've seen in terms of the Chinuch experience for the entire, you know, the families, the children, the, the teachers, and uh, what are those shifts? Rabbi Sadiq. I think, uh, Garfield, as the world is evolving, I think the teacher's role is evolving very quickly. It used to be that the teacher was the center and the address for information. You know, you came to mm-hmm. school, the, the teacher imparted information and then you get, you gave back the information. You know, we don't need a teacher so much for information anymore. They, they, they become so much more of so many other things, role models, teaching, um, you know, social skills, uh, putting the children in good social emotional place. Now you may say, well, we're the parents. Of course we're not excluding the parents and taking the burden on ourselves and saying, you, know, you guys enjoy yourselves and have easy evenings, which we know they're not having. Many parents have said to me after being upset and angry and I let them vent and at the end they say, Reverend we, we don't know what to do at home either. We, we look to you as, as the educators, as the experts. So when they call that school angry and frustrated, it's really because they don't know what to do either. 
So that partnership, the hefech, is even more more important than, more than ever. But that teacher has such a bigger role to it than just giving over information. Um, they become like mini therapists and they become, you know, mentors and, and everything else. So to me, the, the biggest shift has been how the role of that teacher has expanded. And it's, uh, it, it's a huge burden. Hence, you know, the difficulties with finding teachers. I, I don't want to jump into another topic here. Have but, you adjusted your professional development to reflect these needs? And if so, what have you done? Absolutely. I remember when I was a teacher at age 23, uh, many of those uh, professional development days were geared around curriculum and different, you know, pedagogy and different modalities. Of fine, but we we wouldn't spend a lot of time on social emotional health, and we wouldn't spend a lot of time on 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 ways of reaching the children who just can't write, can't read, can't sit still. You know, um, back then we would just say, well, let's find a program for them. What there aren't so many programs. To, to take the percentages of children that are having difficulties and just plug them into those schools. So we have to be versatile. And, you know, there are times that a child doesn't belong in a regular ed environment, absolutely. But we, we had to learn a lot of things in a hurry. You know, mm. that's even before COVID. I'm not even throwing COVID in there, which just, you know, exasperated everything. But um, I would say that that's been the, the major change as I, when I began at the age of 23 to where I am today. And I'm wondering, Rabbi Steiner and Rabbi Deitch, do you have any parenting educational programming in your school? You know, that sort of complements what Rabbi Sadi is saying, where we're directly helping the parents be more effective? Rabbi Steiner, please. In the Sovereign Pinagal. Yeah. Um, I, I think that what Rabbi Sadi said is so true and so amazing. Um, I'm going to get into, you know, the approach that we have and what we could do, the support systems that we have for parents. But for a moment, I just wanted to respond to what Rabbi Sadi said because I think it really struck a chord. You know, in the old times, we expected the student to buy in to the teacher. I think today we don't have that luxury, and I think rebellion and teachers alike understand that it's their job to make the sale. It's their job to connect to the Talmud. It's not the Talmud's, not necessarily the Talmud's job to buy in because there are so many people, so many children that fall through the cracks because they're not going to take that step. They don't connect. And it's our job, and I think, you know, that has shifted, that everyone understands that it's a Rebbe and a teacher and an educator's job to connect to the Talmud, to go out there and make the sale, and not to let it go by itself, not to take a passive role, not to be just the teacher, the educator, but rather to address the social-emotional connection that we have, that you know, the social-emotional need of the Talmud, and create that connection that they so need in order to succeed. As far as support for parents, the school, we have a school-wide system that every single student is accounted for, and every single Talmud is followed up and discussed on a monthly basis. Now, it's an extremely individual approach that if we have a parent that's dealing with an emotional issue with their child, a behavioral issue with the child, a Kriya issue with a child, or a speech and language issue with the child, there's a team approach where we sit down and discuss the specific needs of every single Talmud. I find that, you know, with professional development, it's very nice to get a bunch of abatement to a room and to speak about, you know, active participation or any part, you know, any issue that you'd like to discuss. But I think it's so much more effective to, you know, to really help each Rebbe in the area that he needs help. Um, if it's classroom management by one Rebbe and you have another Rebbe who's extremely, you know, adept and he really has classroom management under his belt, it would be a shame to you know, spend a day on classroom management. We're, right we're now, talking Russia, about the parents. How do we reach the parents? How do we actually impact the parents? Now, Rabbi Sadi, part of what you're saying is improve the teachers. Give the teachers more more tools. But what I'm pushing back a little and saying is, I think our parents would be interested in growing, right? What could we do to help the parents 
become better or more effective. Rabbi Steinhardt, I don't mean to interrupt what you were saying, but I'll just give a practical example. You know, here in school, we have an approach of teaching behavior and not punishing. I know Rabbi uh, Garfield, you're a big fan of Ross Green. So, you know, we we had all our staff read it together, all 140 staff members. We went chapter by chapter. And and we're, you know, RCD is very big, Larry Thompson here in the school. So we brought the parents on board because if they didn't understand what we're doing and, you know, a kid punches another kid in the yard and he's not suspended, doesn't mean that there aren't circumstances with their suspensions and all that. I'm not talking about that. They had to understand what we're doing and they're mimicking it at home also. Because when they were taking away the electronics and they were doing all the things that they were doing to, to, to try to see what they can do wasn't working either. So we kind of brought the parents on board that not only do we have the approach of teaching behavior and children taking responsibility in school, but the parents at home should be doing the same thing. That the child should take responsibility for their action and we should teach them how to, you know, uh, clean their room and how to be respectful to their siblings or whatever, whatever goes on at home. So on that, do you find that is resonating? Do you abs- find that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Any initiative that takes place in school, um, I think ha- has to um, get to the, to the home also. Otherwise it's just, you're, you're never, you're never going to be on the same page otherwise. Rabbi Deitch, what are your thoughts on this? Very often we have, um, the Women's League organizes events for, uh, roundtables and questions and answers, um, between the different principals and, and, uh, some of the Moros in the school and uh parents get to get mechanchos or mechanchem's input on some of the hot topics that parents are contending with at home. Um that's as far as training goes, where it's nothing official set up like that, although I I think Rabbi Sadi's idea is phenomenal. Um and then on top of that there's just an extremely open line of communication with uh principals and the the uh, mental health department and um and the teachers and the parents where that open dialogue certainly creates a a wholesome approach to contending with the the challenges that uh that kids uh, face today wonderful I, i think you know as a as a head of school i think it's an area i could grow in and i'm appreciating this uh discussion because of that um i we have not taken a systematic approach to engaging parents and i think I think that would be a really good thing for us to explore because as Rabbi said, you know, it's, it's a partnership and there's no, we can't avoid it. You know, as much as we want to, um, when I say want to, I don't mean want to avoid the partnership, but as one, as much as we want to fill the children's buckets as much as we can, uh, there's a limit to what we could do in the, in the confines of a school building. And, uh, how about other shifts? How about shifts in terms of the children themselves? Let's focus it on the children's experience in the classroom. I've heard different statistics thrown out about the percentage of children that need additional support in the classroom. And I'm curious if any of you want to throw out what you think that percentage might look like. Children who can't just excel in, in the classroom without additional support and what we're doing to address those needs. I could just tell from my own experience having been a classroom Rebbe to where I am now, it's, it's exponentially uh, grown uh, over the years. Um, I, I didn't really study st- specific statistics, but just anecdotally, I'm comfortable saying that in my earlier years uh, as a classroom Rebbe, it was probably a ratio of one to five, where 20% of the kids had some degree of social, behavioral, emotional, or academic challenge. Um, when we the way I see it now, it's mushrooms to probably uh, certainly over 50%. Wow. Where kids are coming in, um, with some degree of baggage, um, anxieties at an all time high, certainly according to the therapists that I've spoken to. Um, and, and, and it, it runs the gamut of, of, of neighborhoods and gender it's 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 all encompassing it's pretty much everyone you talk to feels the same that it's uh it's something that's certainly on the rise and it's not it's not going away anytime soon so i think that's one of the biggest challenges the shifts i would say that that we've we've faced where a rebbe could come in like i said so eloquently said earlier uh you know a rebbe or a mora could come in and with a a decent uh background in classroom management and curriculum and really cover all bases now the amount of uh how how thinly spread 
a teacher is based on what they need to be on the lookout for. The entire system, I remember getting training and what to look for, what are the red flags that you need to find in a Talmud in order to be able to know something's wrong. It, it's, a, it's a totally different and certainly um, more extensive series of red flags that we need to be on the lookout for. And um, and I think that that's a, a pretty significant shift that's that's changed over the years. So so if I, I'm going to assume that both Rabbi Sarner and Rabbi Sadi uh, agree to that to some extent, that we see more issues and the challenge in the classroom is, is exasperated. So I, I'd like to bring us back to our role as leader for a second and like to say we have, as we've talked about, we have parents who are less effective or able, less able to join us in positively influencing the students. We have students who are struggling at a higher level. We haven't gotten into the challenges with, with finding a, a faculty, et cetera. But you as a leader, how do you navigate these growing challenges and not feeling burnt out and not feeling overwhelmed? You know, you wake up in the morning, you come to school, you got hundreds of people looking to you to, to ride this storm. And, you know, how do you react to that as a leader and how do you avoid getting down and feeling overwhelmed. Rabbi Steinhardt. So, first of all, there's a lot to unpack over here. I just wanted to address what Rabbi Deutsch said. It's interesting because we don't really have statistics and we can't really go back in time and really figure out, you know, who really had issues and how the issues were addressed and who was really struggling and were their needs fulfilled? Maybe there were plenty of people that, you know, I, I would suspect that were under the radar that really weren't succeeding and we just didn't know about it. Um, I look at schools today, at least from my own bubble, from my own experiences, I'm not arguing as a story of addiction. Everything that resonated and it really speaks to the heart. But from my experience, I think that schools today, I think we're picking up on problems and we're really addressing issues that maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they weren't being addressed. I think the issues that we're seeing today are because we're in tune with our Talmudim and Talmidos and we're picking up on things and we're able to address them. Now, the earlier we address them and the support that we give them, the guidance, I think is going to, you know, will change the trajectory of their lives. Um, we are aware of a Talmud's you know, emotional well-being. We're, I don't know if 30 years ago it was even an issue. I don't know if there was an awareness. So, of course, we're, we're, we're able to identify, you know, the issues that need to be addressed, more issues that need to be addressed. But I think that that's a positive development. You know, it may not necessarily be a negative development. It could be a positive development and, you know, something that we really could celebrate. Um, having said that, it doesn't make the role of a, of a teacher easier. I think giving a teacher the tools to be able to deal with them makes it a little bit more, you know, makes it manageable. Now, as far as coming into school, and, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of staff, a lot of, to me, it's the greatest gift that I could have possibly ever dreamed of. It's actually energizing. Yeah, of course, there's a gewaltig difficulty. And, you know, just the time management and being able to divide your attention focus in so many ways. But in a way, it's tremendously energizing to know that you're able to impact one Talmud, five Talmudim, ten Talmudim, and then to think that you're impacting multiple, you know, hundreds of Talmudim. It's just, this close is amazing. And I'm always thankful for it. Beautiful. So, Rabbi Steiner, what's a bad day in your life? What would be a day when you just feel depleted? A snow, a snow day, you know. <laughs> um, no, there definitely are ups and downs. Um, there definitely are ups and downs. And, you know, sometimes you look at a problem, you know, you look at a challenge, you look at a student, you know, something's going wrong, and it's the beginning of a process, and you really don't know, you know, how to tackle it. You don't know. You reach out and you get different ideas. And it seems, you know, it seems very, very big. But, you know, and the beginnings of issues um, are tough. I, I always think to myself that we're going to be judged, not by an issue that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't control, but we're going to be judged on how we responded to an issue. 
And the way we respond to something, that's really, that's where the Mahana steps in. You know, something happened or we're dealing with an issue. That's, that's a very, very tough day is the beginning when you feel, you know, you feel like a little bit but I think once you start working through it, even if you get a little piece of it, working through it, I think that's where the energy comes in. You feel like you're able to address this part, you're able to address that part, you're able to address the next part. Beautiful. Uh, you know, it's not a secret. We're not hiding. We're not trying to sugarcoat. It's a. It's definitely. It's not. You know. It's not simple every day. But if you know, we focus on that energy, that gishmak. I think that gives kayach. Rabbi Deitch, in terms of the um, the broad needs that you were describing, where do you feel we need the most chizik in? Where do you feel that we are just not getting to it? What keeps you up at night? Um. The same thing that kept me up at night 20 years ago, those kids that were not reaching. Um, and, and I, I fully what understand. What category do they fall into in could, your experience? It could be any. It could be social. Uh-huh. It could be emotional. It could be behavior. It could be academic. There are some kids who academically were were not endowed with uh, the tunis to be able to make it past a, a two that is on a scale of 10. And, and what's our role in terms of pushing the envelope and how far like we have an achrayz to the child to take them. As what best. do you see as the solution? What, what can we do? Is it money? I guess if Yana there's no question that we can offer more support and more. I mean, our school has Baruch Hashem, like I said, about 1850, 1860 girls, and we have all together nine social workers or ten, something like that, um, in each department, uh, and then each department throughout the school divided up based on departments. And and it's it's a necessity. Is it is it a tremendous financial undertaking? Yes, but I don't see much of a way. If we had more money, would we have more personnel in the resource room and more? Yes, there's also space limitations. You know, we don't have enough. We're not we're not in rambling uh, Texas, Houston, where we have uh, you know acres of oil fields waiting to be uh, to be uh, tapped into. So we're we're doing the best that we can with the limitations that we have. Knowing that we're not going to reach everybody, but doing our absolute best to help each child succeed, like everybody else is doing, you know, it's uh... right. As you, as I mentioned, you're good. You're trying to do good. If you're not, there's a reason, and we got to identify and address that. Rabbi Sadi, what keeps you up at night as the leader? What are the biggest issues that you feel you just can't get to them? I'll answer with your previous question of what do we do to be mechazek ourselves because haba hatalia. Yeah. You know, when young, young new principals and heads of schools who are courageous enough to want to do this today mm. ask me that question, I say, you know, a few years ago I, I bought myself a notebook and I started writing and pasting in there all the, all the positive, uh, emails and notes that I get wow. because there are times that when I'm so down and, you know, after school's over, I, I pull it out and I look at it. It's that kid that you're at his chasana where there's a specific kid I'm thinking about when I was teaching fifth grade, when he was frustrated, he would throw chairs. But when he walked down the aisle, he didn't throw any chairs, you know, and he's married and he's doing well. And somehow we got him there. And um, if you ask therapists, psychologists, they'll tell you that. You know, when they have these people um, sitting on their couches, I recently mentioned it in another part, podcast, and they asked them, you went through such horrific things. How did you, I mean, you, you're pretty put together. I mean, you still need help, but you should statistically not be alive today. And over and over again, they point that to a teacher, a second grade teacher, a fifth grade teacher, a seventh grade teacher, even a kindergarten teacher that kept in touch with them and told them that they believe in them. And uh, I think it's time to tell good stories. They're, they're, they're used to hearing all the, all the terrible stories. You know, the kids don't behave and the parents are going to be all over you and, and uh, the, the manahal might not be open to your ideas and I don't know. And why would anybody want to do this when you're hearing all those stories? You know, how about hearing a story where you know, a kid is getting married and says you, you saved them and a, kid, and a child says that I'm able to be in yeshiva and there's a stroke today because you told me I could be or, or, you know, I'm going to a certain profession because you, you believed in me. So um, personally, myself, I need that. And I take out that book and I, and I look at all those emails and all those kids. And sometimes I put their pictures in to remind, to remind myself that it's, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. You must be a great person to work with and work for. I, I uh, Next time there's an opening, let me know. 
I'm I'm blessed to surround myself with good people. Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Okay, so um, yeah, you're leading to the topic that you cannot have a podcast, or certainly with leaders, and not talk about the challenge of staffing our schools. Um, now we have very different perspectives, and we're all in very different markets. Right, Deitch is dealing with the challenge of women and finding women and the girls' schools and Moras, and that itself has a certain uh, dynamic to it. Rabbi Steiner is in Lakewood, which is a market, really a, a market and uh, industry, whatever system all by itself. Rabbi Sadi is in a uh, out-of-town community school in in Florida, I think, right? In Florida, and I'm in Houston, Texas, where of course money is flying and oil is bursting. So we all have very different uh, perspectives on this issue, and I'm wondering if you know, together we can sort of find some common ground or find some insights. First of all, I'd like to know, where are you seeing the biggest challenge? Which part of your school? Is it Rebaim? Is it Mowers? Is it general study? Is it administrators? Is it bus drivers? Where are you seeing the biggest uh, challenge in terms of staffing? And then uh, maybe we could explore a little about some of the things we found to be successful. Rabbi Deitch, what do you got? Anytime you're dealing with the base alcohol population and you're getting seminary, seminary, you're great back from seminary, you're, you're facing, t- um, which is a challenge, but we work with them and we have Baruch Hashem, a fabulous set of mentors, peer coaches. Uh, is that internal? Are those people hired by you and trained by you or is it external people? Both. We have, uh, Moros that either used to teach for us and have now gone out and made, uh, Aliyah to Lakewood where they continue to guide, uh, on the side. And we um, we contract with them, and they meet on Zoom, and they come down and make uh, observations. And sometimes our Morris will go to observe them in Lakewood, et cetera, et cetera, which uh, is Baruch Hashem, very, very helpful. And internally, we also have Morris that are currently in school that help work on curriculum and classroom management that are much more benimtza and available on a moment's mm-hmm. notice, in addition to the principals, vice principals, assistant principals, uh, dean, assistant dean, et cetera, et cetera. So there's certainly a lot of support to help uh, to help give guidance and training to those that are a little bit um, new to the to the field. So are you saying you're finding the people but the challenge is the quality? Is that is that what you're so saying? So well, I'll, I'll address that in a second. The second second concern which is uh, I would say just as great a concern is that very often they uh, get engaged and married and they're gone life is to get married and build a family and right. consequently they move to Eretz Israel, they move to Lakewood and far and few between are the ones that choose to settle down and stay in Farakaway or the Five Towns area. So that creates a, a, an exceptional challenge. We're now halfway through the year, a quarter of the way through the year, three quarters of the way through the year, whatever it may be, you're now faced with a an opening, which is really difficult to fill. And if it happens to girls, in second grade, and then again in third grade, and then again in fourth grade. So you can have an angry parent body that my daughter's class is constantly being left in the lurch halfway through the year, and they're getting in, a, in inferior replacements. So that's that's the second part of the challenge. To respond to your question, are, am I finding that we have the teachers, but there there are either they're not trained enough or they're uh, leaving too early? So yes, Baruch Hashem, we have. A little bit of an advantage that we were able to take back our own um, because straight girls, straight after seminary, a lot of them are looking for something to do and getting a, a part-time job in, in a meaningful, uh, fulfilling role is something that does resonate with a lot of them. That doesn't mean that we don't have vacancies, uh, in particular where you'll have, let's say, junior high general studies where it's very, very nuanced or, or high school general studies where you'll have I need advanced calculus. I need chemistry. So that's that's a little bit more uh, specialized, and it's a little bit harder to come by. Um, but but there's it's always a challenge. It always comes down to the wire, and Akhurish Baruch always bails us out in the end. <laughs> yeah, Amen. How about the Rabbi Sana, Rabbi Sadi? Do you want to weigh in on where you're seeing the biggest challenge with regard to staffing? Let me start. Thank you. So I think, um, obviously we're from a different, uh, different part of the world. Um, and Lakewood Baruch Hashem is the chef of Yungalite, is the chef of Rochni, is a really amazing pool of people that, you know, go into teaching. I think there's still not enough people 
that are going to become a chanchen, um, people that are talented, that maybe, you know, let's face it, it's hard to find someone that, you know, is going to be matzliach somewhere else that will take on being a rebbe. Baruch Hashem, we don't have a shortage per se, you know, every position is filled. But I think we could, there's still a lot of work to be done to expose people to the beauty and to the rewards of being a Rebbe. Um, having said that, our, you know, we do, we definitely are facing, you know, we have, we have, we have issues, um, with staffing. As far as, you know, general studies, you know, to finding the man that's going to teach in the afternoon, you know, by us at a certain point, we switch out from, you know, we switch out from Morris to, you know, to male English teachers. <clears throat> and it's so hard to find someone that's going to do it because he really enjoys it and he really wants to do it. Um, even though a lot of people that use it as a stepping stone to get into the world of Chinuch, it's wonderful and, you know, they could be very effective. But there really, really is a shortage. There's, you know, I hear from so many Manalim that they have Literally, they're putting two grades together, they're giving free periods because they can't find an English teacher. Have you seen any success in that or any ideas to mitigate that that work? Right. So I, I, I know when I became an English principal, um, the going idea was to take a Rebbe that taught in the morning, try to convince him to throw enough, you know, Make sweeten the pot, the pot enough that he would want to become, you know, that he'll teach English, he'll sit in the class and, you know, go through an English class with the boys. When I became an English person, I tried something very, very different. I took Jung Light, young, the, you know, recently got married, really young guys that never taught, and I tried to train them. And, you know, it was, it was worth it to them because it was almost, you know, the, the pay for an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, two hours of English four times a week, it just made it to die for them, um, to, to, you know, to get in. What's fascinating is that some of these people, almost all of them became rebellion, mechanchen later on, and it started from them, you know, really getting into a classroom. And when, when you know, when you're taking a Rebbe and it's, it's the end of his day, he already taught a whole day, it's a different approach than getting someone that, you know, this is the focus of his day. This is where he's coming in fresh. So I try to go that route. But then again, like Rabbi Day said, there's a tremendous amount of training that has to go in to getting someone that wasn't in a classroom since he was a, you know, a student and, and getting him back into a classroom and being an effective, you know, English teacher and giving it, giving over, you know, giving over the material in a exciting, dynamic way that connects to tell me them. I think parents really expect that there should be, you know, it should be just as effective in the afternoon as it is in the morning. I think a lot of times I speak to my friends from out of Lakewood and they think that there's a, you know, a bit of, I think parents are very interested. They do not want, you know, you can't departmentalize your heart. Mm. They want so there should be in the Chinuch program, the Chinuch model that you're doing should run from the morning straight through the afternoon. And we put just as much kaychas into our afternoon program as the morning program to make sure that the boys have the same structure, the same, you know, the same learning and the same excitement that they have in the morning. Yeah. But there, there still is a lot of work to be done in terms of staffing. Rabbi Sadi, what are you experiencing down there in Florida? Same. It's across the board in, in, in all departments, you know, but it's national. If you, if you look it up, all you have to do is just Google, you know, teacher shortage. It's, it's amongst the non-Jewish schools, private schools. It's, it's global. It's around the world. You know, I think one of the mistakes that we made and, and it's caught up with us is we always just gave the go-to answers that we, we're not paying them enough and the benefits are not great. And there's nothing we can do. You know, we just don't have money, enough money to pay the way they get paid in, in, in the corporate world. And in, in the latest statistics and, 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 uh, surveys that have come out, yes, the, the, the salaries and benefits are still there, but 
overwhelmingly they're talking about other things. They're talking about difficult children in the classroom. They're talking about difficult parents. They're talking about all those things we've spoken about on the podcast where the job has become overwhelming. There's so many responsibilities they have. And they're opting to do things that are easier and possibly even more enjoyable, even though it's not true. There's, there's, no, there's no enjoyment that matches up with changing a child's life. So I, I had a scenario where I was, <laughs> I was trying to convince m- my own relative to come and teach for me. And she said, Uncle Yaakov, like, uh, don't you love me? I was like, yeah. She goes, as an OT, I, I get home at 4 p.m. I don't get a single email anymore to the next morning. I get chocolates and flowers for Shabbos. You help my child hold the pen, pencil, and my child's growing, and I get thank yous. Why would I want to do this? There's no reason. So she didn't say, how much are you paying me or what's the benefits? She just said, I, I, I just, you know, I know my friends in this field, and I see what they're going through, and I'm choosing not to do that. So it goes back to what I said before. We have to keep telling good stories and, and tell them about the amazing um, amazing things that teachers are doing to change change lives, and not just as a cliche but but as as real stories and and that's the only way to get them to do this and offer them all the supports in having a real approach to behavior management um in your school, a real approach with dealing with difficult parents, a real approach to um getting somebody caught up as a Robert Deutsch said, what do you do when they're right out of the seminary? It's a huge challenge. Do you have something in place and to quickly get them up to par with pedagogy and and being able to give over a well designed lesson from A to Z? So I think if we do offer all that support and get the good messages out there, we stand at a better chance and increase the salaries and benefits. We stand at a better chance in, in, in recruitment. Wonderful. I think Tarmasora has really invested in the Moras and giving that early training. I know Mrs. Zimmerman is involved in some kind of true, I think it's called three, three plus three or something. And it's really been effective. We this year had many of our younger Moras participate and saw great success that they came in already you know, with the sense of understanding, and it really has made the difference for them. I, I also like the way you said that, you know, let's see what we could do about it. You know, there's certain things we can't do, but there's certain things we could do. So let's let's make sure that we're doing at least the things we could do and, um, you know, getting them done. This leads us to probably the a more sensitive component of this, which is our lives, the life of a head of school, the life of a manal, and specifically our family life, our private life, and how our job impacts that. And if I could put the uh, question this way, if one of your children would have been on this podcast right now, we're going to call them up and say, what's it like being the kid of the of the Manal? You know, how does the job impact the quality of your life? What would they say? Rabbi Deitch, why don't you start us off? So my, my role definitely shifted um, when I was a Rebbe. Um, my kids loved it. It was it was the greatest thing. They would come visit by recess, and any extra, you know, stuff that I had lying around my desk was theirs, and they they certainly enjoyed being able to to visit my classroom. Um, then it was my girls' turn, and I shifted over to the the school that my daughters were in. And I'm not I'm I'm a principal. I'm not I'm not a principal here. I'm the assistant dean, so it's a little bit of a different role and, and rules that come out now that affect the whole school. So that potentially could be a little bit of a fallout for them. Um, but by and large, there's there's, I don't think any of my children would tell you that there's any resentment whatsoever. And those who are um, mature and brave enough to admit it will probably tell you that their lives are enriched because of it. When I come home and everybody talks about their day, so I'll talk about some of the challenges that I had to deal with from a chinuch perspective. And and usually what a child uh, gets from their parent is limited to their own interaction. So a kid does something, a parent responds, and then that's how the kid is, is getting the chinuch. But here, they're able to benefit from all the chinuch interactions that they have throughout the day with with parents, with children, with teachers, however things come up, and I'll discuss it. And my wife uh, is a teacher, and my daughter is a teacher, and my next daughter is a teacher. So In your school? Um, one in my school. One used to be my school, but is uh, Baruch Ooh. Hashem engaged with wow. Lakewood shortly. So she's in a different school now. The incredible thing is my kids have started to call supper uh the around the table. So it's just and and unabashedly so. Everyone's excited about it. So it's been a positive. It sounds that's wonderful. It sounds like it's been primarily a positive thing for you and you they do say I've heard Rabbi uh, I mean Dr. Palkovitz talk about this in terms of one of the things we could do is bring our children into our lives 
and make them feel like they're participating. And so a Chinook Roundtable certainly would do that. I know Rabbi um, Rabbi I keep thinking I'm going to go to Rabbi Saidi and ask him to answer the question, how would your family, how does your family experience your principalship and what would they say about it in terms of their, their experiences? So I w- my kids had the advantage, or should I say disadvantage, of being with me no matter where I was. <laughs> no matter where I taught or was a principal or head of school, <laughs> they were with me. And uh, my son, when we came bar mitzvah two years ago, got up to give his speech. That part he hadn't written. You know, when they go off the cuff, you know, you, you hold your breath. Um, he said, I just want you, I just want you all know that I have nine years worth of information for my father from going to school and coming back with him. So if any of you would like to know how things worked on his board or, you know, so the point, I guess the point is, is that, you know, when, when they realize that Tati comes home late and he's at board meetings and, you know, he gets screamed at by parents, but, you know, he's changing lives. I think um, they see the benefits of it. Um, you know, someone who goes out of town and is in the tech world or whatever it is and is making a lot of money and, and, and doing a wonderful thing, giving a wonderful life to his family, that could be appreciated in one way. But when they see, you know, my dad puts in all these hours in, in a difficult field and we see that he's making a roshim, he's, he's making a, 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 a dent in the world, I, I, I see it. I see that they appreciate that. And my parents, uh, who almost disowned me, and, um, because, you know, when you have Iranian parents who um, kind of give you one choice, you're going to be a doctor or nothing else, and then you're telling them you're going to be a mechanach, um, had had many years of hardship and heartache. But now when they see that I'm speaking here and I'm and I'm giving a vod there and, and I'm in this big school and they say Rabbi Siddiq, Rabbi Siddiq, Rabbi Siddiq, so Baruch Hashem I'm finally able to give back to them and they finally do have nachas. But it took yeah. a, it took a long time, it wasn't easy. Wonderful! Wow, you guys really had some positive experiences. Rabbi Steinarder, well, what's your what, what are your children? You know, you know it's very difficult to follow. You know, Rabbi Deitz, Rabbi Siddiq, because I just don't want to take away anything from such a perfect answer by each one of them. I think, you know, they brought out so much of the sentiments that I have and I feel. Um, maybe I could just add that, you know, I think that there are difficulties and I hear Rebidech saying when I come home, sometimes when I come home, it's just doesn't happen. Um, there are difficult days and there definitely is, you know, a tremendous amount of hours that are put in. And making sure that all the wheels are turning and everything's happening. But I think what I could add is that Rabbi Sadiq touched on it a little bit. You know, everyone works hard and there are so many people, so many fields that are doing, you know, things to be able to be nanami, giyakapayim, and to be able to be mechanic and raise teradika homes. <clears throat> I saw an amazing machshava. Is the Seyfalukutechava ben Chaim. He was a Talmud of Chassan Seyfal. And he um, came to his Rebbe one day, and he saw his Rebbe was dejected. He was sad. He asked the Chassam Seifa, what's the problem? And the Chassam Seifa said, I just went with my son. And I realized that if I have the time, and I wouldn't be so busy, you know, with my Rabbanus, and shouldn't be busy with Kalei and answering, I could really develop him. He could become such a Talmud Chacham. I'm losing out so much. My son is losing out so much by the fact that his father's overtaken with his role. He looked at him and he said, there's a passage that says, Simply, we understand the passage you know, to say that the, a person that spends his entire day helping others, there's a, a certain bracha that's given to his children. But this Talmud told the Chafetz Chaim, he told the Chassam Seifa, he said, maybe we can learn the passage differently. Someone that's someone that's taking his day and lending it and giving it to others. Someone that his day is given away to chesed. His yom is a day of gives away his hours speaking to parents, speaking to, you know, helping build the future of so many children, helping to build the kehila. Then HaKadosh Baruch takes care of his children. I'm, I'm banking on it. That, you know, that extra siyat of the that hopefully we're, we're, we're all, you know, 
giving our day, giving our hours. We hope, and Baruch Hashem, we do see it. I think there are definitely challenges that come along with, you know, spending so many hours and giving over, you know. But I think there's tremendous reward as well. Well, thank you. This has been such an encouraging conversation with three Manalim who are positive and thinking of the good in their staff and in their Talmudim and in their parents and in their job. And uh, I think it really bodes well for the future of Klai Yisrael to have people like yourselves in the roles that you're in. And the Mr. Hashem, you know, the people who listen to it could could learn from that and, and we all could continue to see uh, Nachas and Bracha. Thank you all for joining. Well, as you could hear, I always love getting together and talking with other mechanchim about chinuch. So this was certainly the case in recording this wonderful interview with these three special people. I hope you enjoyed it, got some insights into what goes on for principals around the country. As I always remind you, sharing is caring. So make sure you share this podcast with someone else. And thank you for rating us. Of course, we embrace all questions, comments, and guest suggestions at chinuchtodaypodcast at gmail.com. That's chinuchtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. This is your Achmiel Garfield wishing you a wonderful day.